Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And rise for the reading of God's holy word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand nice and high so that you can be seen. Anyone need a Bible? Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus speaking. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that, Lord, uh, we just agree, Lord God, as a, as a room full of believers, a fellowship of believers, Lord God, that we want to open up our hearts and allow you to speak with authority into our hearts, Lord, and that uh, there would be obedience to follow, Lord. God, how we just want to be obedient to your word, how we want to follow you, how we want to be like you, Lord. But we, we need your guidance. We need our hearts prepared, Lord. We need our, our minds transformed, our wills formed into, the, into your will, Lord, and our hearts molded into, into heart of Christ, Lord. And, and Father, I just pray that all of us, each one, God, we're all coming from different circumstances, different anxieties, stresses, problems, Lord, but that every one of us, Lord God, would, would hear what the Spirit is, is saying to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please, greet one another. Okay, just before um, I begin, I just wanted to remind you all that this is, I guess you could call it uh, Jewish Awareness Week, or and uh, Amy's right there, but um, we're having a number of things going on. One, on Wednesday, we'll be, uh, we'll be showing a video of a debate between uh, a man, Michael Brown, and a rabbi, and I think it's it just it was a tremendous encouragement to me to watch this debate. It was uh, I, I have never seen anyone with the debating skills that this guy has. In fact, I, I had the distinct feeling that if he was on the you know arguing on behalf of atheists, he would have won. So you know we don't rely on clever arguments and this type of thing, but but. At the same time, it's encouraging to see that there is an answer for the faith that we have. 
and it can be made boldly. And so that's on Wednesday. On Saturday, we will uh, be going over to Guillermo's house, and Obed and Bimini Cohen from the Jews for Jesus will be coming and giving a one-hour seminar on evangelism. And then uh, first there's actually there's a lunch, and then there's a, uh, a seminar for about an hour, an hour and a half. And then the uh, folks will be going out. If you just want to, if you'd like to join us, there'll be a sign-up sheet over there. You don't have to go out if you don't want. If you just want to come and li- listen to the seminar, that's fine. But uh, that's what um, that's what we'll be doing on Saturday. On Sunday, we will be he- here. Are we in this room again? Do we happen to know? We're in this room again. Just so you know. By the way, that happens from time to time because of the contract we have with the hotel. I think they have the right to bump us uh, into this room, which we kind of like, to be honest with you. It's a cozier room, but. Uh, We'll be here next Sunday. Garrett Smith from Jews for Jesus will be here teaching on the book of uh, Zechariah. So uh, looking forward to that as well. But anyway, uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Also, I just wanted to say, if anyone is interested, there's a life march today that's at 1 o'clock. Melanie, Melanie, can you raise your hand? If anyone's interested in doing that, go see Melanie right after the service because they're going to have to leave really quick. Yeah. Pro-life march. Okay, Matthew 24 through 29, chapter 7. Suppose someone asks you, how would I recognize a Christian if I saw one? How would I recognize a Christian? How would you respond? Well, questions like that have a tendency to stump us, but they shouldn't. And the reason is, is because Jesus gives a very detailed answer in Matthew 5 through 7. We have a detailed answer from the very lips of God of how you recognize a Christian when you see one. The Sermon on the Mount, as I've said many times, is not a list of things you do so you, go, so you can go to heaven, it is a description of a Christian. Now, Jesus was talking to a multitude here, a multitude of lost, broken sheep. In Matthew chapter 9, it says that when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. He was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They were lost sheep. They were looking for God. They were looking for heaven. They were looking uh, for truth. And in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Jesus gave it to them. He never compromised the truth. You know, there's such a tendency when someone comes into your life or someone is before you and they're beleaguered, they're depressed, they're broken down. There's a tendency to sort of give in, cave in to sort of a sentimental kind of love and sort of feed them half-truths. It's going to be okay. In the end, it's going to be okay. Just have faith. It's all going to work out. Not so with Jesus. He gave them the whole truth, sometimes the hard truth. Matthew 5.20 says, and, and keep in mind, he's saying this to a broken, lost people. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not really something you would think you would tell someone who is sort of broken and lost and searching, is it? But that's what he said. And he went on for the rest of the sermon to describe that righteousness. 
Matthew 5.22, uh, with this kind of righteousness, a person doesn't get angry when he or she is insulted, unappreciated, or mistreated. This kind of righteous is not only sexually pure in physical relationships, it is sexually pure in the heart. This kind of righteousness, uh, a person who's this kind of righteousness loves their enemies, they're, they're good to those who hate them, they pray and fast, and they give not to be seen by men, but to bless the heart of God. A person who is this kind of righteous does not lay up treasure in heaven, does not worry, does not judge. That is how you recognize a Christian. For the first two and a half chapters of uh, Matthew uh, 5 through 7, so Jesus is describing this righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of, of, uh, of a Pharisee. But then the sermon, uh, midway through chapter 7, it takes an abrupt turn. And in chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus suddenly gives a series of warnings, and there are four of them. Chapter 7, uh, verse 13, Jesus gives the first warning, warning, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. In other words, now that you've heard about this righteous life that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, enter into it, he's saying. But heed this warning, because the alternative is death. In Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus gives a second warning. Beware, watch out, he says. Beware of false prophets. Why? Because they too are standing at the gate and they are pointing in a different direction. They're pointing you away from the gate to a broad road. In, in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus gives a third warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is a warning to people. There's people who are standing at their gate. They're they're, they're, they haven't made a decision, though. They love the teaching. They agree with the teaching. They like hanging out at church, but they refuse to enter in and give their life to Christ. Then there is the final warning in verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Four warnings. And you know, warnings can be a tricky thing because, uh, you know, sometimes there's a temptation for pastors to sort of load up on warnings. And I know I have that same temptation as a parent to just warn my kids and warn them and warn them again and again and again. Because, you know, I know what sin has done to my life and I've seen what sin has done to others' life and I don't want them to happen to the people who I love more than anyone. And so there's a temptation just to, like, pile on them warnings, you know? But the thing is, that is a misrepresentation of the heart of God. It's a misrepresentation of the heart of God. God wants a relationship based on trust and love, a relationship based on warnings is a shallow relationship and it's bound to fail. I mean, what if every morning, you know, when I went off to work, my wife Stephanie, you know, met me at the door, you know, you better not look at any other women today. You better think of me every five minutes, you know. You better have me in your thoughts all day and you better be, you know, home on time. You know, I'm not going to want to come home. I mean, you know, if she's, if she's just piling on those warnings 
And, and that's not what any relationship is supposed to be like. Relationships are based on trust and love. However, if there is a relationship based on trust and love, there's also going to be the courage uh, to warn. And so we see the proper balance in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus spends most of the sermon describing what a love and trust relationship with God look lo looks like, but he concludes it with a warning, actually four of them, because he knows where man is headed, he knows that the vast majority of them are on the broad road, and so he, warn, he does what any loving father, loving son, loving friend would do. He, he warns them four times. And the final one is the most descriptive, really the most terrible. He who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. When the rain descends, the floods come and the winds blow and beat on that house, it fell, and great was its fall. You know, we just saw those images from the hurricanes, and you'd see these pictures on a beach of just a bunch of, you know, just a mess of wood and wire. And, and, and so th that's the image that I've always had uh, when reading this. And, you know, the first reaction any thinking person uh, is going to have when they read these verses, actually, I hope this is, uh, your reaction, it, it's, it's, I want to make my house on the rock. I, I, I want to, I don't want to be swept away when the rain, the flood, and the wind comes. You know, I want to build my life on a rock. How do I do that? Well, uh, the answer is in verse 24. Very simple. Jesus said, whoever hears these words, so first you've got to hear them, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, then you've got to do them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, uh, again, most people will then be thinking when they ask this verse, hmm, you know, which, which guy am I? Which woman am I here? And, you know, that's not healthy, that's not unhealthy condemnation. That's, that's healthy examination, examination by the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with that. When we read God's Word, there's nothing wrong with allowing it to cut deep you know, once in a while. And, you know, it's, supposed to, it's meant to be like salt rubbing into a wound. It both heals and it hurts. And so, uh, it, you know, this verse is itself is begging the question, is your life founded upon a rock or is it founded on the sand? And that's the question that Jesus is asking you this morning. You know, the, the, to get the answer to that, as usual, we have to read it in its context. And the reason we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, is because we want to make sure and read these verses in their context. And, and those, these verses, 24 through 27, must be read in light of uh, the verses that precede it, starting with verse uh, 13, enter by the narrow gate. People whose lives are founded upon the rock have entered into the narrow gate. They've entered into a relationship with Jesus. And so you may ask, well, how do I really know I've entered that gate? How do I know that? Well, we've covered that last week in verses 16 through 20. Verse 17 says a good tree bears, a, bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 20 says by their fruits you will know them. One way to know for certain uh, you have entered the narrow gate is that your life is, found, is founded on a rock and, 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 and in your life there will be fruit. But then you may ask, 
well, how do I really know my fruit is good fruit? I mean, how do I really know there's fruit there? And this is really what should be happen, happening in your Bible study in the morning, in your devotion time, when you read the Bible. It's the dialogue with the Lord. We'll find the answer to that in verses 24 through 27. Now, how do I know if there's good fruit in my life? You see it right there. A person is bearing good fruit if, verse 24, they do the things that Jesus just talked about in the preceding three chapters. Matthew 5.3, a person is bearing good fruit if they are poor in spirit, meek and merciful. Matthew 5.22, a person is bearing good fruit if they do not harbor anger or lust in their heart. A, pe a person is bearing good fruit if someone slaps them in the right cheek, they give the left. If they love their enemies, if they bless those who curse them, if they do not worry, if they do not judge. Now, if you're being honest with yourself, you'll struggle with all of this. You'll struggle. I mean, this can be really confusing because any person who's honest with themselves uh, knows that no one lives that kind of life. I mean, who does all this stuff? Who can actually say this describes their life? I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 20, again, 7.24, whoever does these things, their life is founded on the rock. Who can honestly say, oh yeah, that's me. Porn spirit, meek, merciful, no anger, no lust. Someone slaps me on the right cheek, I turn the other, I love my enemies, I bless those who curse me, I do good to those who hate me, I do all my giving, all my praying, all my fasting in secret, I do not judge, I do not worry, I do not lay up treasures on earth. I live this stuff, man, all of it. I mean, who, who is that guy who, or that woman? Only Jesus lived these verses. And that's why we so desperately need his righteousness. So then, what are we supposed to make of this verse? Whoever hears these things of sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Well, you know, uh, I guess an old expression of pastors is, when in doubt, go to the original Greek, right? Go to the original Greek. And uh, the Greek for that word does, because when you're reading a verse like this and it gets confusing, there's going to be a word that's going to clear it up if you really dig down deep, and that word is does. What does that mean, and does them? Well, the Greek word is, uh, for, for our word there, does, is the word poeo, poeo. Now, poeo is a very difficult word to translate because the Greeks used it in many, many different ways. It's, I mean, it's, Translating the Bible is not an easy thing, right? I mean, you know, these men and women over time who have translated the Bible, I mean, there are some words that were used in antiquity, but then they stopped being used. But when they were used, they were used in many ways. So there's no sort of oral history you can rely on. And this is one of those words. It was used in many different ways, but it stopped being in antiquity, but it stopped being used altogether. And so it's a hard one to translate, but I, you know, I think it's most accurately uh, translated like this, to agree and abide, to agree and abide, or to, to agree and to live in. In other words, so if we insert agree and abide into this verse, it reads like this, therefore whoever hears number one, these words of mine, and agrees with them and abides in them, I will liken him to a wise man 
who built his house on the rock. So when you read this verse and you, and you ask yourself, hmm, which, which guy am I? Which gal am I? Am I the guy whose house is on the rock or am I uh, the guy whose uh, house is on the sand? You have to answer those three questions. First, do you hear Jesus' words when he speaks? Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine, I liken him to a, a, a man who has built his house on the rock. Are you hearing the Bible, when it's read, are you paying attention to what you read? Or are you just glossing over what you hear and read? You know, Jesus was speaking to a multitude here. And some of them weren't hearing. Some of them, uh, you know, they could hear the sound of his voice, but they weren't paying attention to the words. I don't know, they're daydreaming about matzo ball soup or something. I, I, I don't know. But, but they, they, they were there, but they weren't uh, paying attention. I was speaking to a pastor friend just a couple days ago, and he was telling me about a couple in his church who were having marriage problems, and he, you know, he's been counseling these, these folks, and it became evident that, I know it takes two to tangle and all that, but it was definitely the man who was the real root cause of the, of the problem. And he really tried to start developing a relationship with a guy and counseling uh, him. And, and after a while, um, things started looking better because uh, uh, they started noticing that uh, during the sermons on Sunday morning, he was like furiously writing notes. And he was, he was really paying attention. And he was just really digging in. And this was happening week after week. And then, then there was another blow-up in the marriage. And, and the pastor went to the uh, wife and he said, this really surprises me. I don't know what's going on because, I mean, I've been looking at this guy and so is my wife. Uh, the pastor's wife was noticing the same thing. This guy's like really being diligent in the sermon. And, and he said he's been writing notes during sermons. And, and, and the woman interrupted him and said, he's not writing sermon notes. He's writing recipes. He's opening up a restaurant here in Miami, and he's writing recipes. You know, he, he wasn't listening to anything that was being said. And, 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 you know, you guys think it's easy being a pastor, you know. You go, oh, wow, these people are, like, writing down notes and everything. And, and I was thinking, you know, can you imagine sitting next to this guy? And, you know, you're really into the sermon. This guy seems to be furiously writing notes. And, and you look over his, his shoulder, and you're like, you know, peel seven tomatoes and put them in condensed milk, you know, and, and you're thinking, wow, I know this pastor was profound, but this is really deep, you know, but, 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 but anyway, um, the guy wasn't even hearing, he wasn't listening, and, and, and so the question, Jesus' first thing, the first thing he says in verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine, in other words, you want to know who's living on a rock, whose house is founded on the rock, first they hear, are you hearing, are you reading, the Word of God? Are you taking in certain parts and tossing out others? And second, again, agree and abide. So first is here. Second is, is that agree. Do you agree? Do you agree with the Sermon on the Mount, with uh, the, the Bible? Are you, you know, first are you hearing? Second, are you agreeing? You know, when, uh, whether someone agrees with the Sermon on the Mount, all those preceding things that Jesus said in the previous, really, three chapters, 
is a litmus test of whether they are in the faith. That's what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying whoever does these things, in order to do something, you've got to agree with them. Because faith becomes action. If you do, if you agree and abide in my sayings, poeo, I liken you to a, a man who built his house on a rock. So uh, do you agree with Jesus' message here? You know, there's large chunks of this sermon, Matthew 4, 5, and 6, that people don't agree with. I, I don't know how many times I have uh, been talking to someone and, and read, for, for example, Matthew 6:38. Matthew 6:38. I tell you, where Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other uh, to him also. I'll read that to someone, and they get all bent out of shape. Yeah, well, the Bible also says, you know, Christians shouldn't be doormats. And I say, well, we're not talking about that Bible verse, but we're talking about this Bible verse, and it says that, uh, you know, we should not resist an evil person. And, and, they're, and they're like, wait, just stop it. Be quiet. You know, God is a God of judgment. He's a God of righteousness. Okay. They don't agree. They just don't agree with what Jesus is saying. Do you agree with Jesus' words? Do you agree with the Bible? So if you're asking yourself, which, which foundation my life is on? Is it on the rock or the sand? The first question is, do you hear? The second is, do you agree? The third is, do you abide? Or do you live by? Now, again, I repeat, no one, no one at all can say their life is a model of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, no one even can say they're half a model. There's such a, such a thing. <laughs> However... If you have built your life on the rock and you have decided to enter that narrow gate, you will abide in these words. You'll abide in them. Now, what does that mean? It means that you don't always get it right. In fact, you may not even get it right 50% of the time or even 10% of the time, but still your life is rooted in them. You are committed to live by them uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Do not hang, uh, harbor anger or lust in your heart. Do not worry. Do not judge. And though you failed a thousand times, this is the life you have entered into, you are called into, and each time you fall short, you pick yourself up and try again with God's help. And wonder of wonders, over time, that foundation is built. the foundation on the rock. The Bible says, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the rock is Christ. That is the man. That is the woman. Jesus is talking about when he says in verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like the man who built his house on a rock. So do you hear? Do you agree? Do you abide? Now, a short word on foundations that are cut into a rock. It takes time. It takes a long time. Actually, went back and figured out how long we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in it for eight months. Today's the last lesson. And I've gone through it slowly and methodically uh, so that 
a foundation in the rock would be laid, that it would be absorbed. There are no shortcuts. When you're building a life, you know, when you're building a life, a foundation that's in the rock, think about it. A rock is a hard foundation to, to cut into. But believe me, be sure to build your foundation on the rock because you don't want to wake up someday and find out that your foundation is worthless. That it's just a heap of, of wood and wire. Steffi and I were in a church a, uh, a number of years ago where a pastor shared a, a true story. There was a guy who was doing work on his roof and it was a steep roof and he wasn't he was doing work on the backside of the roof of his house and he, he wanted to make sure he didn't fall so uh, he tied one end of the rope around his waist and he tied the other end of the rope around the back fender of his car which is parked in front of his house and if you're wondering where the story is going yes yeah it's going there it worked great for a while. You know, he went to the back side of the house so you couldn't see him. He's on the back end of the, of, of the roof. But the problem is, his wife came out, got into the car, started it up, and took off. And he, he went flying over the house, smashed into his dr driveway, and she didn't notice for a block and a half. Now, can you imagine being this woman all of a sudden looking in the rearview mirror and going, what? what is that? You know, I better put on the brakes, you know. And, and, uh, you know, fortunately, this guy uh, was not killed. But uh, uh, can you, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I know you recovered. I don't know if his uh, marriage did, you know. You know, I can just imagine, you know, honey, I'm so sorry, you know. What do you mean you're sorry? Don't you look, you know, to see if someone's tied to the back of your car before you're leaving it, you know. Husbands are always so reasonable, but... Uh, but listen, your life, your joy, your peace, your security, your stability is only as good as the foundation that your life rests upon. If you have not chosen Christ as your foundation, all, all those things, life, joy, peace, security, stability, can be ripped away in an instant. And Jesus says, great, great will be your fall. Think about it. How foolish is it to, to place our life on a foundation other than God? The Bible says that when, we, then when you are digging your foundation into the rock, and that, that rock is Christ, the, the rock is God. You are being tied into a boundless, fathomless, the, the eternal power of God. I mean, how is that for an anchor? But so anyway, what, what do you suppose the rain, the flood, and the wind represents? What does the rain, the flood, and the wind represent here? Jesus says in verse 25, when the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Well, it's anything really. It could be anything. The, the rain, the flood, the wind 
can be temptation. Temptation to compromise your sexual purity, temptation to, to, to get drunk, to, to take drugs, the temptation to get rich, to, to be famous, to make something out of your life in order to exalt you. The rain, the flood, and the wind can represent just the tragedy of life, death, a divorce, the loss of a job, war, terminal illness. The rain, the flood, and the wind can represent the attacks of Satan, the attacks of unbelief, blasphemous and evil thoughts that, that come into your mind, fear, anxiety, judgmental thoughts. Those things can come in like a flood like a flood. I, I, I've had times where it, it felt like just sort of attacks from the enemy have just come in like a flood out of nowhere. Like, like a, you know, one of these flash floods. <coughs> Jesus says that if your life is on the rock, they will come, but you will stand because you're founded, you're founded on the rock, which is Christ. Now, there's so many examples of this. Jesus said, if you do these sayings of mine, I will liken you to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Matthew 6:19 says, don't lay up, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. If you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth and economic calamity comes, you will be destroyed. You know, when the stock market collapsed in 1929 and, and every other economic calamity, many, many, many people committed suicide. They took their life. But if you've laid your foundation on Christ, it'll hurt. I mean, the flood, floods hurt. Wind hurts. Rain hurts. But you will stand. Matthew 6.25, do not worry. If you do not deal with this thing, which we all do called worrying, anxiety, if you don't do serious business with God in that area, when calamity comes, Jesus says, great will be your fall. I remember after 9-11, a good friend of mine, right after, within a month, committed suicide. And I had taken a lot of time to to share Christ with her for at least six months or a year prior to her taking her life. and But she, she always backed away, like at the last minute she would back away. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a dream world if we think that the 9-11 type calamity is not going to happen again. Close by. We're living in a dream world. I mean, I don't want to be a fear monger here, but that's what, it, when, when the president and vice president admit that, and they are politicians who want to tell people like what they want to hear, you know, rest assured there's going to be another calamity. But, but Jesus says that uh, if we take seriously his words and we hear them and we do them, agree and abide, when the rains ascend, when the flood comes, when the wind blows, we will stand. Matthew 7, 7 says, and this to me is, is the most essential of all the Sermon on the Mount, that we've got to get this right. 
for, for when the flood, the, the, the rain and the winds come. Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Look, whatever other part of Sermon on the Mount you may fail on, on a daily basis, you've got to get this one right. You have to get serious about your, your prayer life now. Because let me tell you, when the rains descend, the flood comes, the wind beat against your house, and you don't know how to pray, you don't know how to cry out to God, you're going to shrivel up into a basket case. But let me tell you, the man or woman who has built their life on the rock, who has a powerful prayer life, who's connected with God on a, on a, on a not only a daily, a minute-by-minute minute basis, they will stand. They will stand fast. You know, I don't know what the, the rain, the flood, and the winds are for you. You may have already had a flash flood. You may have had many of them in your life. The Bible promises we live in a fallen world. There'll be flash floods. I grew up in a very loving family. There was an enormous amount of happiness and security in my family growing up. It was not a Christian home. I didn't know who Jesus was, but it, and actually it could be said that the, the, the sense and the stability that came from my family, it, it was a replacement for Christ. It just was. And when Jesus says in, in, in Luke, he says, unless you hate your father and mother, unless you hate your brother and sister and your children, you cannot be my disciple. I know what that means. It means when your family is your idol and you've got to put it away. When I was 29, completely out of the blue, I received a phone call from my parents saying their marriage was breaking up. And, you know... Some of you may not have grown up in, in good families, but let me tell you, when it's your whole security in your life and out of the blue you get a phone call like that, it's devastating. It was for me. And the reasons for the breakup were shocking and they were ugly. And the next few months were so painful to me. I remember thinking over and over, I didn't know pain like this existed. I did not know a human being could hurt the way I'm hurting right now. And I remember after the night my, my parents had called, after I hung up, I called a, a friend of mine and I was weeping and he drove over to pray and, and um, I remember when he got to my house, he told me this, he said, Steve, you know, you've been walking with, with God now for six years. Everything you've done up to this point, every Bible study, Every prayer time, all the ministry has been preparing you for now. He goes, you are in preparation. Now's the war. You need to go to war. And I did. I battled through it all, you know, crying out to God. And, you know, if the same thing had happened five years earlier, I honestly think, I just don't know what would have happened. But I can say this, by the, by the grace and faithfulness of God, a foundation had been cut into the rock after six years. And when you're on a rock, 
when the flood comes, when, when the rain and wind beat on your life, you just don't fall. You, you, you don't. You, you stand fast. That's what rock foundations do. And I just thank God, my, you know, the found, you know, I had taken root. I had been, I had been grafted into the rock, and, and, and you know, I continue, continue with the Lord. He's still building that foundation, and, and He will for the rest of my life. But that is what this sermon is all about. We are in a fallen world. We are part of a fallen world. He wants to save us. He wants to save you and he wants to plant you in the rock, in the rock, who is Christ. He wants us living there. He wants us pointing others to safe ground. He, he, he wants to bless us there, right on the rock. The Sermon on the Mount is not a list of things we must do to get into the kingdom of God. It's a description of the blessed life on the rock. You know, if any of you have never made that decision to enter in, or if anyone has just been living a life of defeat, I mean, you know, you, you think of the things that Jesus has taught during this sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, and you're like, this is just, my life is just one defeat after another. Come up and pray with me after. Let's pray. It doesn't have to be that way. God will cut that foundation for you. It has to be, you have to, ha you have to ask Him by faith. You have to ask Him to do that. Anyway, we will go on into Matthew. Uh, chapter 8, and, and we will speed up, too. Uh, we will speed up uh, in Matthew 8, 9, and 10. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is a foundation, a place where we can stand, where we can plant our lives, plant our families, plant our relationships, plant our, our jobs, our, our trials, just the whole of life. We can plant them on the rock. We can be there, Lord. We can be there with you. And as the Psalms say, the, 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 the mountains fall into the sea beside us. Though 10,000 beside us may fall, we will stand, not because of anything we've done, but because who we stand on. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that though you existed as as God. You, you are God and, and, and you dwelt in heaven. You did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing and took the appearance of a man to establish a foundation in our life. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And... Your word says to ask for faith. We ask for faith. Correct our unbelief. 
Strengthen our faith. Narrow our walk, Lord. We look to your right hand, Lord, to, to cut out that foundation in the rock. We certainly can't do it, Lord. Father, I just pray for each person here that by faith they would allow you to go, be, go before them and build that foundation in their life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up.